Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Commitment Matters. Today's episode features another wonderful industry expert. We're talking closings today with Amanda Brumbelow. Amanda has more than 20 years experience in our business, serving most of those years in a leadership role. I have firsthand experience with Amanda's quality work, building and running a remarkably effective and efficient closing operation. One with a sort of high touch, high quality experience that customers simply prefer and flock to. But she didn't luck into creating that kind of operation. She was actually very methodical about it. And now she's helping other companies create the same type of high functioning, high revenue closing department. Amanda was a 40 under 40 recipient for top 10 businesswomen, and early this year, she founded her own company, Ardu Business Advisors. She's a certified business coach and serves as the president of her local Habitat for Humanity. In our conversation, we discuss how closing professionals can continually evolve their skills, how to reimagine your closing department after the COVID crush, what your closing department should measure, how to prevent burnout, creative ways to recruit and retain staff, how to create your own farm team by inventing a closing agent training program, and more. Amanda is another one out there consistently walking the talk. So it's with great pleasure that we bring you Amanda Brumbelow. Amanda Brumbelow, welcome to Commitment Matters. We're so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me, Mary. I'm really excited to join you today and and be on your podcast. I've been a follower for some time now. Oh, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Well, something happened along the way, Amanda, where you and I kind of became some, I won't say old, but I will say seasoned veterans in our industry. I don't know when that happened. Yesterday, we were just babies. Now here we are. But that's okay because we've gained a lot of insights and wisdom along the way. And I'm so excited that you're starting to share some of yours with a larger market. I want to talk a lot about that today. One of the things that you did that really got my attention, and I think people really need to hear about more, is you built sort of a first of its kind training program for closing agents. And oh my gosh, that's such a great idea. We have areas and people who want to go about something like that. So I'd love for you to talk through how you got the idea, how you got started, how you implemented and what results you've seen from that. Sure. I'd love to talk about that. So in 2018, we were ramping up. 2016, they talk about the great resignation in September of 2021, but in 2016, we were actually experiencing that as well. The market was really good. So in terms of retaining talent, especially experienced talent, they were being picked off by competitors and other industries. And so we had to get creative actually in in 2018 and start rethinking, how are we going to be able to keep up with the volume as well as retain the talent, of course, but just be prepared for the future. So we talked about it and decided that the best way to do that was to basically build our own, build our own people and talents by identifying the right personality and mindset of individuals that maybe have never even heard of our industry. I mean, you probably never woke up when you were a child and said, I want to work in the title insurance industry. I know I didn't. (laughs) It just kind of happened into it. And so in 2018, we began the process of building the training program. And I focused a lot of my energy on what is the right personality for this type of business? Because it's more about the personality and the mindset. Because if you can find those types of people that fit within your culture that you have built or you are building, then you can teach them the fundamentals and the technical of what we do every day. And so that's what we did. In 2019, we had our first class. It was a small class. There was about six individuals in that first class. And I will say this, title insurance is definitely not for everybody, especially after we went through 2020. I think it pushed everyone to their limits. We always think that in this business, you know, we always talk about it is difficult. And so I don't think any of those trainees are actually left, but they they have moved on and they they've, a lot of them have actually done really well. They've either moved on to a competitor that has paid them really well for the skills that they learned during that program. But the program itself was focused on, there were three pillars that I focused on in that program. And that was one, I wanted to make sure that I taught them 
the technical of the business, but I also wanted to give them sales skills and I wanted to develop leaders. I wasn't just developing producers. And so I always tell individuals that I'm coaching, anyone can be a leader. It doesn't matter what your, what your title is. It starts today. It starts now. It starts in what you're doing today. And in order to be a leader, it includes trying to own what you're doing and how you're doing it, but also helping others. So that was kind of the mindset we tried to create in that program. I love it. So what were the personality types or traits that you identified of people who tend to do well in this business? So in terms of, I was definitely focused on closing talent. So the closing talent is definitely different than title talent, both very important, just different personalities. So I was focused on closing talent and for sure, you have to have a kind of a hybrid of extrovert introvert to a certain extent. I always say that I'm kind of in the middle. I can be, I can turn it on and be an extrovert when I have to be, but I'm totally fine being by myself as well. So, so definitely someone who can relate to and talk to people feels comfortable doing that. And also someone who has administrative skills. So that's the other thing is sometimes, and I'm not saying, I mean, you need salespeople, you need closing people, you need title people, all different types of personalities and skill sets. But with a closing person, it's not just the sales and the relationship part. You also have to be administrative and you have to like the details of doing paperwork. And sometimes salespeople, they're like, eh, I don't want to do that. That's totally fine because they are successful with what they do. When I talk about closing talent, I describe it as being a very dynamic skill set, dynamic personality. There's a lot of things happening at one time. I don't like, in fact, I'll tell people when I'm interviewing them, I don't like to use the word multitasking. Because I really don't even think that it properly describes what we have to do every single day. (laughs) I really don't. And so the one way that I describe it is I say, you can be administrative and you can be very organized. You can be list oriented. and, And you know, a lot of people in this business are really good at those things. But you also have to have the type of personality where you're prepared for all of that stuff to get just completely blown out of the water. And you have to be able to maintain your composure because what I tell people is like in a lot of businesses, you can control the deadlines. You might be given a deadline, but it's kind of a little bit more fluid or flexible with us. It's not. So we're waiting on everybody externally. And so when the deadline is ready, even if the external didn't get to you in time, you have to perform. So the type of personality that you need, obviously, is someone who, yes, can talk to people, is administrative and organized, but also can maintain their composure in kind of higher stress situations. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then when you went to find your students, where did you go to locate them? Did you go to like community colleges? Did you go to people who are already in the workforce? What did that look like? So that's, that's a good question because my first vision of who I was going to be looking for, I really thought that I was going to be attracting college graduates. And just to be real honest, and a lot of people in our industry are like this. I know some states are attorney states, so it's a little bit different, but where I am in Arkansas is not an attorney state. And so me personally, I didn't go to college. I started working in title when I was 19 years old, but I felt like that college or college hours help build some professional skills that I didn't want to have to teach people. Like I didn't want to have to teach people how to use Microsoft. (laughs) I originally thought that we would be attracting college graduates, but what what happened, which was so interesting and I loved is that we did have people who were currently in the workforce, some that were middle-aged, if I want to call myself that, like me, who had done maybe prior professional jobs, but they were very intrigued by what they could learn in this business. And so I was very excited about the diversity of age that we had, because originally I really thought that we were going to attract college graduates that weren't sure exactly where they wanted to land, but they had, they did have some professional skill sets that they had learned while they were in college. So it was kind of all over the board, really. Okay, cool. So you you have your you have your candidates, you have your class. I didn't want to 
interrupt the flow of it, but I just kind of want to understand some of those fundamentals of how you got put together. So then what was your schedule? How did it go from there? Now the the trainee program itself has evolved. And that's one thing I would say is that my personal mission is to learn today to improve tomorrow. So I'm constantly trying to figure out how to improve things. But the program started out where it was kind of a hybrid of in-class instruction as well as hands-on. So I felt like it was really important. Like I learned hands-on. Most people in this business have learned hands-on. And I call that situational experience. And that situational experience is so valuable, important, because it helps you learn kind of how the customer is going to respond to certain things. And then you learn how to kind of foresee those things happening before they happen. And then that's really how you kind of build referrals is your knowledge base. So the program itself, it was it was basically a week a month they would come for classroom instruction. But the other time they were back at their branch with a mentor learning, you know, the hands-on. Also, another thing that I told everyone in the program was I can't teach you customer expectations. That really changes market to market. And so you really have to learn that hands-on by working with the customers. So that's how it was then. But in the last year or so, it definitely has evolved. The program itself has a new leader. And I think she's done a tremendous job with the program. I'm excited to see what she's done with it. It's still evolving. Well, I love that you did that because, especially during the pandemic, but it's always been true, it's hard to find the people because to everything you said, they don't know our industry exists, let alone considered it for a career option. We have always had this problem of how do we hate to steal talent, although you think they're going to come with a book of business, but sounds like you found what I found when I was managing escrow departments, which is the book doesn't usually follow like they think and hope it will, and you think and hope it will. And then when you get talent with previous experience from other places, they also bring their stuff with them. Some of them good, some of it bad. And it can be much more effective in the long run to build your own instead of go find it in the marketplace. But it does take a while. So to take a person through them sort of being on their own doing closings, there's kind of a long tail there. So I love that you did a class and they were employees at the same time, right? It wasn't Mm -hmm just a class to see if they want to get hired. They were hired. And so they had sort of the in office, this is what it really looks and feels like. But then they were also coming out once a week and getting that sort of express train learning and grooming into sort of the type of employee your company wanted them to be. When I was trying to identify the right personality, I did personality assessments on who I felt like our high producers were at the time. And then I was able to curtail my interview questions around who was really successful internally already and how to identify those same behaviors and skill sets in another individual. And then they were hired as employees. And we wanted to make sure that, yes, the program was one year. Total. And that one year really had to do with the mentorship. And so they were in classroom training six months and then six months kind of on their own with a mentor actually doing the job. So again, we've we've coached them on sales, coached them on how to be a closing agent. But one of the biggest challenges that I had and something I definitely learned was trying to help the mentors and the local leaders shift their mindset that this is possible. Okay. Say more about that. That it's possible to train someone who doesn't know anything about our business, how to be effective. So were some of your local leaders, what were their thoughts about it couldn't be done? What what were some of their objections? I'm going to take full responsibility for this because like I said, we, we had the idea in 2018 I think I had six to five months to launch the program itself. And so I was doing all of the personality assessment, trying to figure out how to build it, develop it. I didn't do a very good job as a leader myself communicating the why and where we were going. Oh, those change management principles that so often get lost at the front end of any project. That's right. So the mentors, I learned, like I said, but the mentors from their perspective, all of a sudden we have this brand new 
group of people that we've hired in that have no idea what we do. You're really starting with the basics and the fundamentals of, of what we do. And then they kind of had it pushed on them to a certain extent. And they're like, okay, first of all, I'm doing my daily job where I'm, I have my own pipeline and everything like that. And then now I've got this person, I got a mentor. And there was definitely a disconnect between my ideal process, which was what I was training in the classroom, which is a great thing to do because then you can kind of align people with how you want to do things, but with the reality of how we were doing things. And so after the first year, I was like, okay, we got to figure out how to bridge the gap because the way it might be be being done locally isn't wrong, but is it the most efficient way that we can do it? And so trying to figure out how to align that disconnect was one of the biggest challenges that I had to try to focus on the following year after the first, first year. All right. So then with your consulting that you're doing now, since you sort of created this program and found the pitfalls and have adjusted it and tweaked it for more efficiency. Is that something you're helping title companies with now? If they want to have a program like this, either for their company with employees like you've done it, or maybe through their state LTA or locally, maybe two or three want to get together and do this and just bring on a farm team and see who rises to the top. Is that something you're working with companies with? So what I wanted to do when I started Ardu Business Advisors is I wanted to help business leaders learn how to scale. So I don't go in and create a training program for you, but what I can do is I can go in and I can identify potentially the gaps that are holding your company back from being able to grow. A lot of times that's the mindset but other times it's capacity. I think they say that the average, you might have to correct me on this, Mary, but the average size of a title company is across the country is like three people. Does that sound about right? Yeah, it sounds about right. Definitely less than 10. Very, very, very small. Yeah, yeah. very small. So what I wanted to do or want to do with our do is I want to be able to go in and help identify things in process that are either slowing things down, not moving things forward. But I also, I think as far as mentoring and coaching, I'm really good at coaching up that producer into a leadership role because that's what I did. I know a lot of coaches like to coach executive leaders. I don't really think that's where my strength is. I think my strength is coaching up producers into leadership roles. And so those two things, process and then coaching up leaders. And then also I did get certified to help implement a framework, which helps you have a little bit more organization in terms of how you're operating your business, the numbers that you are measuring, and then also how to create the, the culture. Okay. So I want to get down into sort of each of those elements. So with the mentoring, somebody needs to be out there mentoring producers, great producers into management, because so many times we just put our best leaders into management without that training, then we wonder why they don't succeed very well as, as managers or leaders. And it's because they've always been a wonderful solo producer and, and they may be able to evolve in that, but we have to help them how. And, and I also think that's super important right now as we're coming off of the, the COVID crush, rates are doing what they're doing, and we're going to be finding business from different areas than we've found at the last two, three, four years. So what we're hearing from employees is now that, okay, let's reassess where we are. The first thing people are looking for are opportunities to advance. They're saying, I carried the water. I did the death march. We've crossed the finish line. We think of at least the horrible push. What's next for me here? Is there anything next for me here? So I'd love for you to talk more about how some of that can be successful. Sure. So I have so much to talk about <laughs> on this because this is like one of my favorite things to do, actually. It's also one of the hardest things I've done just because I care about people. Care is one of my personal core values. So it's really hard sometimes to have those conversations with somebody who says, I'm ready to do the next thing. Like I am a excellent producer and they I've are. It. Yeah, I've earned I'm it. Next. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I'm going to throw some books out there and I'm probably going to throw too many. So just fault me for that now. But one that comes to mind is Radical Candor 
And that one was really, really enlightening to me because it talks about your rock stars and your superstars and which ones are on trajectory for a leadership position and the other ones, which are always going to be a producer. So what you have to do as a leader is you have to identify ways that your high producers can still feel like they're on a a growth trajectory, but maybe they're just not leaders and it's okay. Not everybody is a leader, you know, and when I say leader, manager is probably a better word in that sense, because they are probably a leader for their pipeline and, and, and things like that and for themselves. But that book was was really enlightening. And I will say I had multiple conversations with producers because I experienced it myself whenever I had to transition from being a producer into a leadership role. And it's not like my boss came to me one day and said, hey, by the way, I don't know how you can take care of all this. You need to get out of production. No, that did not happen. In fact, fact, it was the opposite message, which was you need to do all this stuff as a leader, but then also you got to carry a pipeline of this number. And I'm like, okay, first of all, something's going to have to give. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So when I would talk to producers that I had elevated up into leadership positions and and I could see that they were having a really hard time. And this, of course, this is for like, like a larger organization. I know it's difficult. In a smaller organization, which I actually happen to be a part of now, you kind of wear whatever hat you have to wear. Sure. All but, of them. Yes. Yeah. I would say, how do you measure yourself? At the end of the day, how do you measure yourself? And if you measure yourself by tangible, like I got these closings done, That's an individual mindset, not a team mindset. And you have to learn how to measure yourself and your success on the whole team. Even if it feels like you haven't done anything at the end of the day, you did, you did a lot because the team couldn't get anywhere without you. I don't know if I went all over the board on that one, but I think it's important to have conversations with superstars and rock stars and help them see that even if you stay as a producer, there's a, another way to measure yourself in terms of your success. And that, and, you know, I would talk with, uh, I remember having a conversation with somebody and saying, it could look like onboarding a new client because you're so good at it. It could look like developing, I don't even know. It was more about like producing and building like a kind of probably more of a sales mindset versus a building a team mindset. So building a pipeline. A lot of times, great individual contributors high-level producers think they need to go into management or official leadership because they think that's the only way they're going to get more money. That's the only way they're going to get better pay and or that's the only way they're going to be an influencer who matters. And so I imagine it's also a conversation with leadership to say, let's reframe this. And, And you give the example of salespeople. Salespeople who just kill it can actually make more money than many senior managers. So it depends on how you compensate your your closing staff. But instead of transferring officially over into leadership or management, is there a way for them to continue accelerating in the producer role? Do you see a lot of that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so in larger organizations, that's why you see similar job titles or functions getting added on to in terms of like senior VP or whatever, whatever the title is to to feel like there is some sort of career projection there, even if they are still a producer. I wonder if in the Radical Candor book, which sounds like a great book, I haven't read, I'm going to pick it up. Do they address at all having a conversation with someone who maybe previously got moved into management under that old thinking that really shouldn't be there? You don't want to lose them. You just sort of need to take them back over. And I don't notice, I don't say down, but back over into the producer realm and get them back on that track. Do they do they or do you have any wisdom of how to accomplish something like that? Because I know we have listeners sitting out there with that exact problem. So if I'm hearing you right, you're saying you've promoted someone, it's not working, and you need to have the conversation with them to... Yeah, you don't want to lose them. You want say, the talents they had as a producer, but they're, it's just not working as a manager. Do you put them over in the other track? Do you help them become a better manager? What do you do? I can't recall a situation where we put someone back into a producer role. The challenge that you have there is helping that individual overcome the mindset that they failed and also what the perception of everyone else will be. So 
the path that we typically followed was one, of course, conversations to growth conversations is what I like to call them. It's, it's like, here's the areas that we could work on, but also providing that individual with leadership coaching and going ahead. And, and I believe a lot in leadership coaching. If you want to help someone shift their mindset, a coach is going to speak more candidly to that individual. The individual potentially will feel more comfortable being vulnerable with a coach. Ironically, somebody that they don't have the working relationship with, it cannot, the communication can be more free flowing. Exactly. And so again, I mean, I usually tell people it's on you to get there. It's on me to tell you that you need to. Oh, okay. But I'm not going to throw you out there and make you do it by yourself. I'm going to provide you with resources to help you. But in the end, it's what you take with that and what you do with it. And so if they can't overcome whatever it is with a coach, they typically move on, unfortunately. It tends to sort itself out that way. But you put some effort there on that front and help them and see if they can pick up those pieces of, of their puzzle. That sounds really cool. And I wanted to ask you too about, again, as escrow staff and escrow officers, escrow managers, it's always a good idea to be evolving skills. What are some pro tips you would have for people right now, both speaking as a big company closing manager and producing closer, as well as from the coaching standpoint, what would you recommend people do coming out of this post-COVID craziness? Right. That is such a big question. I have so many things to say. So one, I think coming out of COVID, and I think what we're all learning is people want to be treated like people, period. And so if you think of yourself, whether you're a producer helping customers, whether you're a leader trying to lead a team, you have to stop and think, how would I want to be treated? Or what would I want to know in this situation? And I think too many times we automatically jump to judgment. We automatically jump to measuring potentially our experience to what others expect today. And you can't do that. So, I mean, I've been in the business a really long time. And so I can look back and think about different things that I've, that I've heard or seen in the past couple of years and think, well, I didn't think like that. You know what I mean? I just showed up and I worked my butt off and suck it up, buttercup. So yeah, but you can't you can't have that mindset. So I think we all as human beings, because people want to be treated like people, we have to replace judgment with curiosity. That's fantastic. Yeah. Unfortunately, I can't take full credit for it, but (laughs) but I do love it. I use it a lot. And I think that's so true. And if you're carrying a pipeline and you're helping customers, they don't get it. They don't understand what we do. And so why get frustrated with their lack of understanding? Instead, just replace your judgment of them with curiosity. Or the same thing goes with like a peer or a team member that you're leading is trying to learn more what their perspective is and why they're thinking they are the way they are or behaving the way they are. And so that's one thing I would say. A couple of years ago, I read a book called Mindset by Carol Dweck. And that one was really helpful to me too, because basically in the book, she talks about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And I'm sorry to say, I'm not trying to offend anyone in our industry, but I think we probably have a lot of fixed mindsets because I don't know if you've ever heard, we've always done it that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Once know? or twice. Yeah. Heard that. Yeah. 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 We, we hear that a lot. So a growth mindset is an individual who basically tests things and is okay with failure. They're testing it to see, you know what? I had this idea. Let me see if this works. If it doesn't work, they're okay with it. They move on. They keep testing. They keep trying. And guess what? They keep innovating. They keep improving and they grow. Fixed mindsets, they don't want to test. They either have to have mastered it and they do it the same every single time. And they don't want to test that failure boundary because they're not comfortable with it. The interesting thing about the book is it talks about how this is ingrained in us from childhood, like when we go to school. And it's not like you're born with one mindset or the other. You're not born with a gross mindset. You're not born with a fixed mindset. You're actually both. Like I'm both sometimes. And I, you know, it's really funny is I made my husband read this book because he's definitely more of a fixed mindset than I am. 
And I hate it whenever he's like, you're, you've got a fixed mindset and you know, whatever is going on. He throws it back at you. (laughs) He totally throws it back at me. Oh, It's all good. That's funny. Um, But yeah, so every individual has the potential for both, but you just have to be intentional about being okay with testing things. And so So you may have to kind of push your own boundaries out and and do some experimentation yourself. And that's great. And allow yourself the permission to fail. But I think also creating a mindset where you're sort of encouraging each other. It's okay to try. And if something fails, that just means we go on to the next iteration of it. It doesn't mean we bag the whole thing and, and forget about it and walk away. Absolutely. Absolutely. So for escrow officers, for closing managers, that's really what I would encourage in my team is to have a growth mindset and to make sure that they all feel comfortable to, to talk openly about what's working, what's not working, and how to work together as a team to improve it, who has ideas to improve it. And then that whole concept leads me to my next book, which is The Toyota Way. And so that was another book that I read. And be honest with you, the first time I listened to it, it's talking about car manufacturing. And I was like, what does this have to do with title? Title is very much like manufacturing. You take in and you you do the work, you put put it on, you can break down the process, you can have multiple people working kind of like a factory line if you want to if you want to talk about it. But one of the things that it said in that book that I thought was so valuable was it said when you are deciding how to do your work every day, when you're deciding how to do your process, you need to be eliminating anything in your process that doesn't add value to the customer. And so anything that you can automate, anything that you can eliminate in that process that helps your team add value to the client, to the customer, is going to help you be able to grow your business. It's interesting because when you talk to, whether it be title agents or closing agents, and you start talking about automating things, they start getting worried about, What does that mean to me? What does that mean to the job that I do? Guess what? We still need people in this business, very much so, because depth of knowledge, that's not something you can have a computer produce, you know, I mean, it's critical thinking, right? But there are certain pieces of the process that you can automate or that you can eliminate where you might just be spinning your wheels on unnecessary work. And in the grand scheme of things, what the customer wants from us is they want more communication. They want to feel like they are the only deal that you have on your desk. We see that a lot too. We see people who who say, well, I'm concerned if I let this go from automation. And part of it's because they have their system. And part of it is the fear that you're going to introduce risk and liability into the process. Something's going to get missed. But to change the mindset into a lot of that stuff that we spend a lot of time on while our business isn't knuckleheaded, Some of those minuscule things is something that technology or an automated process, things that you mentioned, can improve on. And let's leave the human brains for the complex work, the analysis and the communicating that technology doesn't do as well as a human being does. And really, actually, when you flip it like that, it's a little more freeing to say, We just want to take the knuckleheaded stuff off your plate and want you to do the more artful bits of your job. And I think when people understand it that way, they start to get a little more on board with making some of these changes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I'm wondering if there is an example of the types of things that you would put into that bucket. Some of those tasks that humans are doing that isn't really worthy of a human brain. And we need to hand that over to technology. I am a veteran RamQuest CCE user and still using your software. So basically going back and looking at the technology that you have and have had for a really long time and saying, am I really using this to the fullest ability that it can offer me? You know, just because it worked 10 years ago, right? but you guys have, have evolved. And you have been able to build in into the workflow, more automation, more integrations through closing market and things like that. It's setting aside to say, okay, we've got to go back and look at our processes again. And it can be a whole team because I really do think you need your team's perspective, because especially if when they're the ones doing the job every day, they're the ones with, with the hands-on frontline experience. 
that may have suggestions. So it's being intentional about making sure that you take the time to make sure that whatever software you have or whatever systems you're using are still effective in today's world. Well, and I, I want to lay anyone's concerns about being sheepish about that because dirty little secret is nobody is using their system, whatever system it is, whether it's RamQuest or another one, no one is using it to its full capacity. And everybody sort of has that sense that they're not, but they also feel a little sheepish about it and aren't sure how to have the conversation or think they're the only one. No, listen, it's everybody. One thing that I always try to coach my team on was if you feel like you're spending a lot of time doing one tiny piece of the process, that is the piece that we need to look at because there's probably something that we can do to help you save time. If you think this seems harder than it should, that is exactly the thing to fix because it probably is harder than it should be. That is also something that some people just don't speak up about. And I don't, I don't really know if it's because they don't see it or if it's because they really enjoy the digging in and, and spending time on, on those types of things. But I used to also tell my team that as we make changes, that if they feel like they're banging their head up against the wall, that was not my intended result. So they have to speak up so that we can improve it. So many of them suffer in silence. And you can even call them into a meeting and say, what should we be doing differently with the system or anything else? And they'll stay quiet because so many times they think they're doing it the cumbersome way because that's the way it has to be done. Either the system requires it or the business requires it or this customer requires it or whatever. And oftentimes, as creepy as this sounds, oftentimes the best way to find those things is to just go stand behind them and watch them work. Absolutely. So with our do, that's the other thing is again, our do business advisors is I can go in and I can identify those bottlenecks and help articulate that to, to leaders. That's, that's really good advice. Well, one question I think people have for, and again, this is really more for those smaller agents who maybe don't have a dedicated sales or marketing team, or if they do, it's small. And so they've been so heads down producing and just trying not to spread COVID around their customers or just get the work out the door. They're really starting to wonder about how to effectively get back out in their markets. And they might be a little rusty. You know, they haven't been able to call on people for a while, a lot of them. Ideally, you'd see maybe the realtors at closing, but even a lot of places, the realtors were like, we're not coming, like we're going to keep the human interaction to a minimum. So they're they're trying to think of some creative and effective ways to get back out in their markets. What would you recommend for them? I actually tried to prep myself before our, our conversation today. And that's one of the things that I put on there is that you're going to have to get creative to continue to be relevant. And 2020, we got a little bit of a pass because our volume got so high and nobody really wanted to be physically connected during that time. But we've kind of shifted and moved past that. And so escrow officers, closing managers, they are going to have to focus on those relationships again. They're going to have to be super intentional about reaching out and making sure that customers know that they appreciate their business. Because guess what? refinances are almost null right now. And so, yeah, everybody's volume is going to slow down. And so to stay relevant, you're just going to, you're going to have to stay connected. So you can stay connected in a couple different ways. It's having conversations. I think most people are feeling more comfortable even meeting in person. And so it just, it just depends on who you are and how you feel about that. But I think that it is going to coffee, going to lunch, like the old days. I think we we kind of we got past that because of COVID and also because of the volume, but you're going to have to refocus your energy and balance your energy between what you have going on in the office and being in front of people. So you've got to call on at least probably five to 10 people a week. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And, and we've heard from a larger regional player that they are in their markets right now going back and hosting an all-market barbecue. And they're going big with it. And they're bringing the lenders and the realtors and the attorneys and everybody together because we all miss each other. I mean, that's the the, kind of the quiet part of this business is we're all people, people, and we've missed each other. And this agent said, we want to be the first one 
to bring everybody back together. And that might be different by market. Some markets probably never quit getting together. If you're in a market where things have been curtailed, like maybe the Christmas party didn't happen, or maybe it happened virtually or, you know, whatever, they're saying, we're going to be the first one to get everybody back together because there's an intangible there to providing that place where people can just reconnect and get going. I don't know if you've seen any events like that or hosted any yet, but we're hearing about some of them. We've been talking about it. So I guess this is a good time to talk about my other venture. So in addition to RD Business Advisors, I recently joined Allegiance Title Company of Arkansas as their VP of Operations. And we've definitely been talking about creative ways to get together and to provide that sense of community in our industry between realtors, lenders, builders. The biggest thing that Allegiance has had since they opened in December is they had their ribbon cutting. I actually was not a part of that. I wasn't a part of the team yet, but that was really successful. And there was a lot of great feedback. So kind of your point to the larger regional agent wanting to do do the barbecue, we're seeing the same thing where people are are kind of wanting to feel reconnected and, and a part of the community that we're all a part of, which is the real estate community. And some other creative ideas I've heard over the years I've never actually done is one actually business leader in Florida of a title company said that I think they had a nice patio and they would do like a cocktail hour. He also had an idea where you would hire a car detail company and just have them have them at your office all day long and have realtors come through, get their cars cleaned. So yeah, so stuff like that. And then of course, with your marketing dollars, you should be spending it on things that are functional and usable by people who work in the industry, especially those who are traveling in their car a lot. Yes. Well, and differentiating yourself with services and actively marketing those can also make a difference. I know that you were very involved in e-closings, getting those ramped up and and running in Arkansas. And I think you did the first e-notary closing in Arkansas. And we've been a little bit surprised by agents not promoting their ability for that, whether or not a transaction or any transactions take them up on that offer, but just promoting that as a a new way, a new posture of being in their marketplace. You know, the lenders are going to get there eventually. Might as well be there waiting for them. I'd love for you to tell people a little bit about your process through that. And so how it came to be, and then how did you get it implemented in your company? Was it one specialist? Was it a team? Was it everybody? How did that go? So yes, it was 2018 as well, I'm pretty sure. And we worked closely with the Secretary of State. So I can't remember her title. I actually ended up hiring her when that Secretary of State was voted out of office. She was in my first year's trainee program. So worked closely with her on the Secretary of State level and actually helped when the Secretary of State here in Arkansas at that time had implemented the e-notary law. Part of the law was that they had to approve vendors. And at the time, Pavasso, which I know is a sister company, they weren't on the approved list. So we helped get Pavasso on the approved list for Arkansas. So Being an industry leader to the best of your ability and kind of collaborating with those government entities that help implement the laws, being heavily involved in that is super important. Later, when we were talking about Ron, guess what? We were the first people to be on the phone with with the Secretary of State's office talking through. And I, I gave them the model legislation from ALTA. And uh, mortgage bankers, if I remember correctly, you have to kind of be the one talking to your legislators, helping them understand what it is. They're only hearing what they hear on the government side. They don't hear how it actually impacts the industry. So it's really important to build those relationships. So with e-notary, what I learned was, first of all, the process hasn't changed that much. So we still weren't getting everything early. I mean, you know, we all thought that we were going to be able to uh, be ready to close three days before closing in 2015, but that's not exactly how it worked. The same thing is true with e-notary or RON. And so building processes that help And also kind of maybe setting expectations in terms of with your lenders and stuff in terms of how long, if we're going to do this, we need to have it ready to go for the client like 24 hours in advance or whatever that looks like. The other thing I learned was back then I got every single closing associate commissioned to be an e-notary. Well, that was kind of cool and exciting, but I can't, because we didn't have the volume of e-notary, not everybody has much hands-on experience. I think the same thing is going to be true with Ron. So I really, my recommendation is 
build a small expert team if you're going to have one internally or potentially even look externally at a RON pool of notaries so that you don't have to take your producers that are focused on paper closings out of that production because it sometimes does take a little bit more time, especially in the beginning when you're learning the process. And whether you're doing zero e-closings a month or a quarter or a hundred, I think promoting that lets ideally your community know that it's an offering because part of the problem we have is that the consumers don't know that it's available. They want it, but they don't even know that that anybody's providing it. But it also, I think, attracts a type of realtor, especially who, as we're all trying to find new sources of business, who might be more in line with that change mindset and be more willing to try one with you. You know, you're just going to attract a different type of realtor, I think. I don't know how your realtors responded to And I don't know if you guys were promoting it or if it was asked for, you just said, yes, we have it. How did you handle that? We were promoting it at the time. And where I think Ron is going to take off a little bit better is the consumer didn't see the value in e-notary because they had to still physically show up. You're like, oh, we're doing e-closings, e-notary closing. And their, their first answer is, oh, okay. So like I can be getting on a plane to go to San Francisco and I can do my closing no, not with the notary. You couldn't. Right. Not yet. Yeah. Yeah. I did try to sell the value of the closing experience is actually better with the notary because you only have to sign your name one time, initial one time. And so it can be more about the experience and the relationship you have with the, with the realtors or the lenders at the table and kind of what you need to know about the house you're buying or selling instead of, instead of the signing. Getting carpal tunnel from, yeah, the signing. Exactly. But Ron, where you're going to do well with that is, is the fact that you're prepared. So whether or not you want to use it as a marketing strategy, if you're prepared to build a team around it, I do think that businesses are going to have to focus on having a solution whether it be an internal solution or not. Like I said, you can get a pool of raw notaries. But the point is, is that you have to be prepared because there are going to be situations where it's going to be absolutely needed. And if you're prepared to deliver, that's how you're going to continue to get referrals. One of the most frequent questions we get from owners and managers is how to prevent burnout from staff, or if you have staff that are already burned out, how can you help them rehabilitate? What advice do you have on that? I think you have to be creative in the benefits that you're offering. And I think I heard somebody say one time that some organizations or corporations have a lot of picnics and benefits. That's not what people want. They need benefits, right? I mean, everybody needs benefits. But if it's superficial, it doesn't really impact that individual personally. It's like, okay, we're going to have a pizza day. Okay. Who cares? I mean, I mean, we have pizza days too. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like discounting pizza days, but it just can't be the only thing you can't have benefits and picnics and call that good. Yeah. So one thing about Allegiance who I just joined that I was really impressed with is that they have benefits that actually impact the individual that are very creative. So they, in addition to just regular PTO, they have flex days once a month. That's what people want. They want flexibility. They don't want to feel like they have to be at the job eight to five, Monday through Friday, if it's not necessary, right? So you got to get flexible with remote work options. You got to get flexible. What it is, is it's basically once a month, you get to take a day off that doesn't count towards your PTO. I mean, you have to plan it ahead, but it's really nice. And the other thing that they do that's really cool is they do vacation reimbursement. So you go on vacation, you bring back your receipts. We, there's no staycation, so that doesn't count. But yeah, there's a, a di- an additional benefit. Basically, they're like, you know what? Again, people want to be treated like people. And too many people in this business feel like they can't take off. Right. Right? Yeah. And that directly helps combat the burnout because it says, no, we need you to go. We value your time away. We value so it so much. We're going to help you pay for it. Exactly. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. They just implemented that last year. So I think that as I think that the leaders of the organization were actually listening and paying attention to what helps motivate people to stay. And this isn't one that motivates everybody, but I can tell you it would motivate me and a lot of people I know. And it's it's very low cost. 
pet insurance falls in, in line with the in the benefits category, but it's this little special thing of, oh, hey, this is something you've wanted, but maybe you haven't afforded it or whatever. And, and it's also acknowledgement of the rest of your life as well. I think that's wonderful because not everybody has children. Some people's children are their pets. Guilty. Yeah. So their pets are just as important to them as a child is to someone else. And so to be able to have that type of coverage for your, for your child, even though they may be a furry child, it's meaningful. That's really cool. Well, what in your coaching and consulting do you find commonly that people need help with? And what have you found that sort of surprised you? Some one-offs here or there. Talk to us about that world. Sure. So I think that the biggest challenge is for me to help leaders see the need. Um, And I think they get pulled back into the day-to-day of their business and they are working so deep in the business that they can't, they don't have the time or the brain capacity. I mean, to, you know, just capacity, mental, physical, all of it. They don't have the capacity to elevate themselves up out of the day-to-day and be like, you know what? I need to work on the business or I need someone like Amanda Brumbelow in our do business advisors to help me. And so I would say that was, that's probably been the biggest challenge is lots of people interested in that part of the business, but not a lot of execution because they get back into the day-to-day and it's just the same old, same old every single day. And it's a bit of a catch-22, isn't it? Like the more you're down in the weeds, the less time you have to fix it when fixing it would help you get up out of the weeds a little bit. Exactly. What do you exactly? How do you combat that? One of the things that I tell people is when you had a vision to build something or to start something, because a lot of the title company owners are entrepreneurs. So when you had that vision, was your vision to create a legacy and build wealth or was it to create a job? Nobody's going to say it was to create a job, but that's what you did. That's what you end up getting. That's what you did. Yeah. Now that you've created this job and you're so far in the weeds, it diminishes your value in terms of like your potential to sell in the future as well. Because guess what? You are the business. Mm -hmm. You are it. And so if you can't figure out how to elevate yourself up, then your value in terms of that legacy and building wealth that you thought you were going to do when you started this business is very much diminished. A lot of times you have family members who they're like, I don't want to be in the business. What are you going to do with it if you don't sell it? You know, at some point you're not, you're not going to want to continue working in the business. So I would just say that you, you need to be starting to think about that before time. This was not a book I was planning on sharing, but it was, I don't recall the author, but it's called Finish Right or something like that. But basically what it says is when you start a business, you should already have your exit plan figured out. You should already know how many years you want to be in the business. And if you were to walk away, what you want to walk away with in terms of wealth so that you kind of know what, what's my trajectory in this business. Too many people start a business focusing on the start of the business, not the end of the business. So in the book, it did talk a lot about basically the creating the strategy for both. Otherwise, you're going to get pulled into the business. You are going to be the business. And then when you're ready to leave and somebody's ready to buy, you're the asset that they're buying, not necessarily the, the business, if right. that makes and, sense. And generally, yeah. if you're trying to sell, you kind of want to be done or close to done. And yeah, the more wrapped around the axle you are, you've forgotten what that original intention was before you turned the key day one and got mired down in the weeds and and never got your head picked back up. Absolutely. That's really important. All right. What else should people know that we haven't talked about yet? I guess the other thing was you had asked me what to measure. And so there's two things. And one is OKRs which is objectives and key results, which is basically helping your team understand kind of what their measurements are, like what we're working towards and how we're going to get there, what the numbers look like. And so I do know that with my team, I started being able to identify in 2020 red flags in terms of capacity. So I kind of set the bar on both ends. We were looking at it weekly. So a lot of times leaders look at monthly production, right? You can kind of predict monthly production a little bit whenever you're looking at your open order pipeline. You can kind of predict a little bit how many closings you're going to close that month. But 
with the weekly numbers, when we were looking at that, I had set a benchmark that said, okay, if you're closing less than this per week, then that means you need to be calling people. That means that your added production is actually touching base with customers and asking for orders. If you're closing over this number in a week, then that means you're, I called it redlining. That means you're redlining and the other team members that maybe aren't closing as much, it's now a whole team approach to help make sure that we get the get these closings done. And that really did help my managers and myself be able to identify to that burnout question a little bit ago is being able to monitor that week to week to make sure that we were addressing it, we were hiring if we needed to. So definitely looking at weekly closing production real time, definitely need a benchmark monthly. And I mean, obviously you're here to make money. So you need to know, okay, how many deals per month does each person need to do? I did look at that a little bit more broader. So I would say, okay, if a team of, you know, like a team of three needs to close an average of, of this much per month, which is, I think what I, the number I came up with is, I think it was like eight to 12 closings a month for a whole team of three. Now the closing agent's the one that has the pipeline, but it, it's not just her or him that it takes to get that pipeline closed. So I was looking at the total monthly production for a team that it takes to get that entire pipeline closed. The other thing is KPIs, which are key performance indicators. And when we sat down as a team, we went through a lot of things and we talked about what measures our success? What's our indicator to measure our success? And what we found was, guess what? Close deals on time. That's what our customers care about. And so how do we close deals on time? Well, you back it up and you back up, okay, how long does it take us to get an order in? How long does it take us to produce a commitment? Those sorts of things that you kind of take the whole process and you start setting benchmarks throughout the process to say, okay, within our ability, obviously, we can close deals on time. Amanda, I love all this so much. And you and I have known each other for a while now, and I loved watching you take a scientific approach to it with a lot of the kind of the less tangible people aspects of it. I will say that doing a lot of these things gave you just this ultra functional department that you could then use as a foundation to stand on. And when you went out in the marketplace and talked about things, big or small, respiratory, trade comes to mind, there are a lot of those things. You had the foundation underneath you to be able to deliver into your marketplace in a different way. And you had everything set to where you could handle the additional capacity that those market and outreach efforts made. So you got your cart together first, then you put a horse in front of it. And I watched you guys just go to the moon with it. And it was fantastic. So I really encourage people to get a hold of you to discuss some of these things that you can help them accomplish. Just the way you said about it was so intentional and it kept you guys from getting wrapped around the axle on the silly stuff. I've never once seen you look up a year out from having set a goal and saying, oh yeah, we were going to do that, but we abandoned it. You're always making progress. I think that's remarkable. I love that you have a methodology around it and I know people could really benefit from it. Thank you so much, Mary. I really appreciate our relationship and I appreciate being asked to be on your podcast today. We hope you enjoyed hearing Amanda's insights and tips. If you'd like to talk more with her about how to create a closing agent training program or any of the other subjects in her wheelhouse, you can reach her via her website or email, which are linked in today's show notes. And we had a listener request for a way that you, the audience, can reach us for feedback or topic and guest suggestions. Of course, you can always email us, but the ask was for a way to leave us a voice message. We will include all of this in today's show notes, but we would love to hear from you which topics you'd like to hear more about. Maybe you have a specific question and you'd like for us to get to the bottom of the answer for you. Well, now you can call 214-377-1807 and leave a message for us. We look forward to hearing from you. We want to bring you the guests and topics that you most want to hear. So until next time, keep challenging your ways of thinking and doing. Chances are high that you've developed some habits that might need to be revisited. 
and updated. If you've had a lingering project in mind that you know would make work life better, but you've just been too caught up in the hamster wheel to get it underway, this week make a plan and break out the steps to get you to your goal. You'll be pleased you did. And finally, do your best to schedule some time away from work, whether you think you can or even if you think you can't. Because even just a long weekend can refresh and renew your perspective. We need you at the top of your game because what you do really matters. <laughs>